We are beginning a series here called, uh, we're in the middle of a series, Formation, Life Together as the Family of God. Last week, we talked about loving our neighbor together, as you see our discipleship plan on the wall. Today, we're talking about loving our church family together. And I've chosen Hebrews 3 as the passage I've spent this week in and studying. Um, And I really want to talk about this issue. Uh, It might sound unrelated, but Hebrews actually links loving our church family together with this issue of perseverance. Uh, In verse 6 and in verse 24, it says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, but we are, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do you actually know you're a Christian? Did I miss something? How do we, how do we know, how do you know that you're a Christian? You only know you're a Christian if you hold firm to the end. If you don't hold firm to the end, you never were a Christian. That's, that's I think, the theme of the Bible. A lot of Christianity says, well, I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. That doesn't mean much. Uh, if you don't hold firm to the end, you never really got it. So how do you know you're a Christian? You kind of know you're a Christian if you're believing in Jesus today, right? And you're still holding fast in the faith uh, together. So this is this idea of perseverance. And I want to talk to you about perseverance through a Christian community. Paul compares the Christian life often to a race. And he talks about it many times throughout the epistles that there's race, and Hebrews actually introduced the idea of rest. There's race and there's a rest. And I want to encourage you that as we go on this journey and on this Christian life that's a race, that we, we eventually want to enter into the, the ultimate rest of God. Uh, I don't race at all. I have done a uh, triathlon, but I did it not to beat anybody. Uh, I don't have any illusions that I will ever be a racer. Um, but a challenge was given to me five years ago to uh, pick a physical challenge that would um, be hard and it would invoke fear in my heart. And so I picked up this uh, biking about five or six years ago and entered a, a, a ride, not a race, called the Triple Bypass. Now, we, we've, we have now fielded a team for the last five years in the Triple Bypass uh, bike ride here in Colorado. And... The Triple Bypass, um, if you know anything about it, it is the, the equivalent of biking from the base of Mount Everest to the summit. And we do that here in Colorado as we start in Evergreen, we go to the top of Squaw Pass, we come down to Idaho Springs, then we go to the Continental Divide, then we drop down uh, and we hit into Copper Mountain area, and then we go up Vail Pass, and then we coast into Avon, right? It's a 120-mile ride, and it's, you're really racing. The race is really against yourself, and can you actually do it? Because it's, as Jeff Cook would say, who's a three-time Ironmaner, uh, it's as hard as an Ironman is. Um, and so uh, when you start off the ride, this is actually a picture. You can go ahead and advance that, Caleb. It's not moving forward for me. Um, when you start out the ride, it's just beautiful. You start off at 5 o'clock in the morning, the sun rises. Uh, we actually uh, start with a team of three, and the very next year we moved to a team of over 20. But that year, uh, f- there was forest fires in the Breckenridge uh, Keystone area, and so they actually canceled the ride. 
But were we going to stop as a team? Oh, no, we were not going to stop. We fielded a team um, because we wanted to actually, we trained together, uh, we, we got together, and we were going to ride. So our spouses, friends got together and said, hey, we'll run the SAG vehicles. We don't need the official ride. We can just go down that road. And we're just going to go the halfway uh, and then come back. Um, and we were going to persevere. We weren't going to train all this time and not do the ride. We were going to overcome. I think the Christian life is often compared to a race, and the team that you have to go with you is the local church. It's your ride-or-die team. So when I talk about loving our church family together, I actually want you to think more of like a team on a grueling bike ride than a group that meets in a sanctuary once a week and in a home once a week. I think that's the fundamental difference on how most Americans view church, and I think how the New Testament views church. It was not an event-driven body of people. It was a group of people on a journey together. Uh, we have talked as a, as a teaching team about this post-COVID church, and we've thought through these kind of four steps that we will go through, review, reflect, recommit, and rebuild. And in the review, I think it's good to just look back and go, over 13 years of this church plant, what was the idea that brought us together as this church family? That we wanted to be a multicultural church with a diversity of socioeconomics, and we wanted to worship God in multiple languages and with people from different countries. And we now have formed this body of believers, and we now have 10 small groups where we love each other together, and we have started this nonprofit, which now has gotten over 1,000 people out of poverty uh, in our city. But as we also review what's happened recently, COVID was a wave that hit us that in ways none of us could have imagined. And it's a season that we have to deal with. And when you have these seasons, I, I like that verse in the Bible that says, you guys all know how to predict the weather with the signs when the sky is red, but you don't know the signs of the times. Like you don't have wisdom. You're smart, but you don't have wisdom. So I think it takes wisdom to say, where are we at here as a church in this post-COVID world? And so we enter this period of reflection. This is just this series is really just a period to reflect on those core ideas that really brought providence to bear. But I think I want to acknowledge in this reflection time that right now it's just a tough time in church life and in culture. It was already referred to this morning uh, in our conversation. But in our church, um, we just sat down and kind of analyzed what, what church do we have? Like every church is doing right now. What, what is church like after COVID? It's just not a pretty picture. I think the average church is down in attendance between 25 and 50%. And people are wondering, is the bounce ever going to come totally back? We saw 22 people move out of state during COVID. Uh, we also thankfully planted a church during COVID, but we lost a group of people to that church plant. Then we seem to like have some, some more difficult losses where we had relational conflict in the middle of COVID that was abnormal. And, uh, and people left over that. We've had people leave over theological differences, programmatic differences. We had someone last week tell us our services are too long and they're leaving the church. We have people that want us to align more closely with a political party. And honestly, it's just flat out discouraging to see over 50 adults during COVID either move out of state um, take up, pack up their bags and leave. And uh, it's, it's a tough time. Then you just look out in the culture at large and it's, it's just um, everywhere you go, it's difficult. 
It is, it is a tough time. Nobody knows where the economy is going. Nobody knows the nature of the workforce. Uh, where is our, our political world at? What is the world we're creating? What is happening to democracy? So I just want to acknowledge that in this space of reflection, we are in a tough time as a church and a culture. But we do want to emphasize a, a time here coming up in December to start recommitting. We are asking you to evaluate what is your commitment to the local church? Some of you have made a commitment to be a covenant partner, but you're not fulfilling it in any way, shape, or form. Hey, you can peace out. It's fine with us. We just want to know what's the squad that's going to be together kind of moving ahead. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, I just realized during COVID, I actually really need the church. I actually want to double down on my commitment. Everybody's going to have the opportunity to figure out where they're at. And then we want to rebuild in 2022. What is is the vision? Josh Larson sent me this quote from Dane Orland, the living God is so glorious and kind, he cannot be known without being adored. Those who truly know him will love him. And without that heartfelt delight in God, we are nothing but hollow hypocrites. That adoration of God necessarily works itself out in a desire to to grow in Christ's likeness. And it fuels a love for Christ's precious bride, the church, and a desire humbly to serve rather than use her. And lastly, loving God brings us to share his concerns especially to see his life-giving glory fill the earth. Right there you see all three loves. What flows from our love for God is our love for each other, and it goes out into the community at large. So we are re-examining our core discipleship philosophy, um, and I want to focus on loving our church family together. The, The main way we actually do this as a church is through our community groups. Our groups meet weekly, They have a truth component, a relational component, and it's the primary hub to form family inside the church. And I would say it's the primary way we have designed the church for you to receive pastoral care. In a true shepherding sense, your CG leaders are your first line in the shepherding work. We don't believe that small groups are optional for your growth. In fact, if you actually look at the only area nationally that thrived during the pandemic, it was the small group ministry in churches. You know why? The relational bond was there. We actually believe it's the very lifeblood of Providence. When we talk about loving your church family together, most of us actually think about loving people with their physical needs. I mean, Josh gave a great testimony to this, that... um, you know, he's had these physical difficulties, and his small group has come around him and met the physical needs, which brought him to tears this morning. It brings me to tears when I hear it. We've worked really hard in that area. And I think we also talk here a lot about our emotional needs, and a lot of small group is meeting emotional needs. But tonight, today, I actually really want to focus on your small group as a center to meet your spiritual needs. Because right now, I think the spiritual needs are off the charts, Hebrews gives a plain description here that our hearts have a tendency to go astray. We begin our journey with God, and many people lose their faith. It's happened throughout all human history, and it can happen to us, it can happen to you, it can happen to me. Because it is hard to persevere in the faith your whole life. To say, I, I'm a believer in Jesus and a follower of Jesus, and take that 70 years. I guess we can't do 70 anymore, right? You know, you're 71, so at least 80 years, right? Persevere all the way to the end. And it's harder than you think. It is harder than you think. When we launched into the Triple Bypass in 2017, you know, the fires kind of, you know, 
uh, were all over here, and they said, you can't, you can't go there, right? It's dangerous, and, and uh, we don't want to get any tie up any emergency responders through the bike ride coming through here. So we just said, we just made our own little plan, and we said, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to risk it and go that way. We're just going to go. It's a triple bypass. You go through three passes, pass number one, pass number two. We'll just come back to pass number three, and we can drive right home from Evergreen, right? That was our plan. What a beautiful plan, right? Anybody see the problem with that plan? It's a much harder ride, right? So there's a long leg up here. There's a long leg up here, and there's a short leg there. But if you do that one, you're going to go long leg, long leg. You're going to come back, and you're going to do your third long leg. We, we did not do the math <laughs> on that, that ride, and it cost us dearly. Because when we got to the very top right here, there's Benson, Josh, Patrick, myself, and we are not, I'm not smiling like I did right here that you saw that picture, right? Josh is in total shock uh, there on the left, right? Because now we've realized we made a calculation mistake. And here's, here's the problem, right? When you signed up for this Christian thing, you had no clue how hard it was going to be. You had, no, you had no idea what it meant to really live a life of faith your whole life. Hebrews says in verse 8, Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And in 13b, You may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As I traced it through the chapter, there's a trend. You are deceived by sin. And thank you, Lon and Patty, for preaching my sermon this morning. Deceived by sin. Then you move into a phase of doubt and distance with Jesus. And then there's departure from the faith. And every single person here is uh, at risk to not make it all the way to the end. How does that work? First is the deceitfulness of sin. Say, I, I even asked my community group this week, what does it mean to be deceived by sin? What does it mean to be deceived by sin? I think it's what we actually believe what the good life is. What is the good life? If I look at just First uh, John uh, 2, 15 through 17, uh, lust of flesh, lust of eyes is part of life, the desire to do, the desire to be, and the desire to have, you have the kingdom of this world, that their, the desire to do is the will of myself. I want to do what I want to do. When it comes to be, I want to be first of all. I, that's the pride of life. What do, I, what do I want to have? The lust of the eyes? Whatever I can get. But the kingdom of God is, what are you to do? You're just not to do the will of yourself, the will of God. Not to be first of all, but servant of all. Not what you can get, but what you can give. I heard somebody say, live simply so others can simply live. Like that's, that's kingdom-type beliefs. But there are, most of the world believes that the left column is the good life, not the right column. And you will be constantly pulled down almost by an invisible gravity to the left side of the chart almost all the time in this culture. In fact, I think it's very hard for true Christianity to survive in, a, in the Western culture of wealth. We live in the global 1%. And we are constantly being... Uh, put images in front of our face on what the good life really is. What's referenced in chapter 3 is actually the story out of Numbers 13. 
about the deceitfulness of sin. What happened in Numbers 13 is Moses, they sent the 12 spies into the land. God had already promised them that they could have Canaan. But they sent the spies in to spy out the land. They came back and they said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. There are giants in the land. And and basically Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. God's on our side. We got this. Let's move into the land. And the other 10 riled up the people and said, no, we can't do it. Don't you realize they're giants? And here was the words, they are stronger than us. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of dying. Their safety, their security was threatened, and they thought, uh, they rationalized their way into what they thought the good life was, and the Bible says God let their bodies drop in the wilderness. Where are you lined up in your life? Are you going to take the safe route? Are you going to take the security route that the world offers, or are you going to take the satisfying route, the, the, the route of the king? I like that in uh, Narnia when uh, Susan says to Mr. Beaver, uh, I thought, we're talking about Aslan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'm nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who's thinking about safe? He isn't safe, but he is good because he's the king, I tell you. If you you go to the kingdom of God, you're not going to live a safe life, but he is the king. Those 10 spies so whipped up the children of Israelites so nervous about going into the land of Canaan that it says that at night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They grumbled and said this. Listen to what they say. If only we had died in Egypt <laughs> or in this wilderness. I wish we would have died. They didn't even walked into Canaan one foot. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. It'll be better for us to go back to Egypt. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is without taking one step forward. They want to go back. You realize how how shocking that is? They would rather eat slave food, submit to an unrighteous king, and live as slaves the rest of their life rather than to walk in the Canaan and watch God do the miracles he was going to do. So, so this, this, this issue of the deceitfulness of sin is we can look at the good life and we can totally make our plans contrary to God. And then enters doubt and distance. There's actually the, the, the verse that's referenced in verse 15 is a quote from Psalm 95, which is the story from Exodus 17. And it talks about the children of Israel. They went to this place, Massa and Meribah, and that's where they basically said, we don't have any water. And they constantly said, is the Lord among us or not? Here is God who supplied all their food, all of their water, but then they tested him there in the wilderness. And they became hard of heart. This means to become calloused and to become stubborn. Let me ask you this. Where are you at in your journey of faith? Is the deceitfulness of sin pulling you down? Is there doubt in your heart? Is God really among me, among my life? Is God really in my thoughts? Is there distance between me and the Lord? How frequently are you asking the question, is the Lord really in my life? 
Because you might actually be at stage two, although my message is not to stage two people today. Because what happens then is there's a departure from the faith. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you to fall away from the living God. And folks, this is happening in droves. This is just church membership that this is pre-COVID, right? Pretty steady throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s. We hit 2,000 in the last 20 years. We've gone from 70% part of a church down to 47%. I think with COVID, you could knock another 10 to 20% off of that number. And then this, just by uh, generation over time, just go to the fourth line, the millennials, from 2008 to 2018, Church membership went from 51 to 36%. That's essentially saying for Gen Xers in this room like me, our grandbabies are not going to be in church. That's what it's saying. We are two decades away from a churchless generation hitting our culture. People are falling away from the faith. What is happening? Uh, it, you know what? It's all of this, Hebrews maps it out. Right? There is this pull of the world, there is doubt in distance, and then there's eventual departure. Why? You know why? This journey is hard. It is really hard. And you're not going to get there on your own. You will not get to the finish line by you and Jesus not needing the church and going in the woods with your Bible and your journal. It's not going to work. Believe me, I hear so many complaints about the institutional church or organized religion. And when I actually see the person that's saying it to me, they're not going to make it. <laughs> it's usually the people that have already either in stage two or stage three they've left. And whatever spirituality they have concocted is not very attractive to me. Right? I, I want to be with a group of people that we are going to go all the way with Jesus. And that happens through the church. But it is hard. We, on our little triple bypass ride, we started realizing it was hard right about here, <laughs> right? <laughs> and to make things worse, right about here, it started to rain and get cold. And there's my dear friend, Benson. <laughs> Benson can bike circles around me. He tells jokes while we go up hills, um, while I'm heaving, just trying to survive. Uh, but Benson's in pain. And then Josh Larson, that's Josh. <laughs> right? That's how we all felt, right? And right when we hit Idaho Springs, like, the, the heavens opened up. Caleb, I don't know if you have the, that uh, little video, but I found this on Facebook this week that I actually recorded a video um, of when we hit Idaho Springs. All you can hear is the sound, but... <laughs> All right, you can, you can cut that. Uh, that's actually, go ahead and advance it one slide. Okay. It was not fun. And, and, and believe me, everything in our bodies wanted to quit at that point. Because we had every reason to. It wasn't even a real ride, right? There was, it was not even formalized. Like, it was only, you know, worth 
bragging about when you got done and nobody really cared. I mean, even our spouses were like, come on, you know, just cash in the chips, let's go home, you know? Um, and you know what? Nobody would have even noticed. We could have just gone into the sunset. So how do you get through those hard times? The solution. It's honestly, chapter 3 talks all about this departure from the faith, and there's only a one-line solution. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. That is the solution. That's it. How are you going to stay in the game exhorting one another while it's called today? Coming to a church service, folks, once a week with some K-love sprinkled on your radio on your drive to work is not going to get you to the finish line. Right? You are being formed more by the culture than you are by Christ. Um, I, I read this this week that the way most people used to view the faith is in that left bubble that we were trying to be faithful to an authentic, authoritative core of revealed truth. We were aligning ourselves to that. We have moved to the right side where religion is a personal identity accessory or an optional lifestyle accoutrement. In other words, Jesus, I need Jesus to be part of me to make my life more complete. Not I'm moving myself toward this authoritative core of revealed truth. Folks, the right side of that chart's not going to get you there. Amen. Just Jesus as, as some little rabbit's foot so you can pray and get your prayers answered once in a while, that is not perseverance. So we have to exhort one another. That word means to encourage, to comfort, and to implore. Let me ask you a question. Can we, I actually don't think I do this. Do I exhort people every day? Encourage them. And that's not just saying, hey, you got this girl, you know, knock it out at work. No, you are encouraging people in the faith. In this gravity that's pulling people away from the faith where scads of people are leaving the church and leaving Christ, you have to encourage people in the faith, and we need it. And if anything makes sense to me in Hebrews chapter 3, it is this. What would it be like for us to be a church where we actually practice this? So I'm actually going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to break up in little groups here for a few minutes. What would it be like for you to either receive or to give daily exhortation to your brothers and sisters in the faith? All right, circle up. That's the question. What does that even look like? How would that even work? Grab some people around you. So let's say this together. An encouraging daily dose of Jesus from those I am closest to is a solid guarantee for finishing the race. Let's, Rose, you want to say something? She's already encouraging. Look at that. Rose is holding hands. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So let me let me speak to the Rose moment here. Rose, you know you're an encourager, right? You're an encourager of a lot of people. There are a lot of people here who actually have the gift of encouragement. The command is to everybody to be exhorting. But if you've really got the gift, we all need you, right? Uh, Sherry writes emails out to the staff here like, 
couple times a week, right, with her musings from God, right? I need, we need those things in our life. Let's say the quote one more time. An encouraging daily dose of Jesus from those I am closest to is a solid guarantee for finishing the race. I want you to believe that. Why should you be in a community group? Because that's at least a weekly dose of Jesus, and it forms relationships with people you can be close to, right? But it's got to actually go beyond community group, I think, to get us across the finish line. Because I don't think we're in for smooth sledding here in the next 25 years in this country as people of faith. So, um, on my bike ride, when I was right here, my wife lit up the phones to my sons. And I found this text yesterday from Peyton. Dad, you're the strongest person on that track. That's not true, but lies help you, <laughs> right? When you're on that ride, man. Ah, and he's just like, man, nobody's like you, Dad. I'm proud of you, Dad, right? And then Champ comes in. Yeah, Dad, you got this. You're the hardest worker I know. Not an understatement. Keep on pushing. Love you and good luck. Also, don't die just yet. That would be helpful, right? That's champ, right? But nothing helped me. Right here, Josh and I were ready to quit. And then this moment happened, the Jeff Cook moment. We're done. We're over, right? Jeff Cook gets out of his vehicle, goes over, and gives us the speech of our lives. And it looks like he's ticked at us, but he's actually not. He's actually encouraging us, saying things like, I ran three Iron Mans, you guys can do this, come on, get, get in gear, you know? But Jeff, at that time, the reason he's not on a bike, because he was on a bike with us every single year, is because he's undergoing chemo. He had cancer. And what are Josh Larson and I going to say to a chemo patient <laughs> telling us, you can do it, right? Uh, the text messages and Jeff Cook in our face actually got us across the finish line. And I just want to emphasize like, how important we would have quit without the encouragement of our community. And if this lasts on a Saturday over the Rocky Mountains, then it's so true of life that 75% of people say their major reason for attending church is to hear a sermon relevant to their life. Is that necessary anymore? You can get a sermon relevant to your life on your phone any minute of any day. If churches, believe me, we're all about sermons. That's why you're here for almost two hours on a Sunday. We're all about sermons. We're all about preaching. But you can get a lot of that stuff. But you can't get somebody who daily encourages you to not give up and to stay steady in the faith. That is priceless. So our result is we want to have a group of people here who persevere to the end. Verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our confidence firm unto the end. You need the church to do this. And when you get to the end, it's all going to be worth it. It's the time of rest. You know, that, I wore that medal all around the next week around my neck, right? Just because I was so happy to be done with it. And, but I say this, the energy to do it is not just in human warmth and relationship. Primarily, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and the perfecter of our saints, who actually saw the joy that was before him, and by that he endured the cross. That was, he persevered through the cross, and he despised the shame. All the shame that came, I mean, he was, he was hung on this ignominious uh, stake outside of town, and there he died. And you know what? He, he, he died a, a dejected, shameful death, and he scorned the shame, it says, because of the joy that was set before him. I, I'm out of time, but all I want to say is this. For those who persevere to the end, it will be a joy that we can't even fathom. And you know what the greatest joy for me will be? I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I do know the people I'm going to be looking for in that massive crowd are y'all. Because yeah. I'm going to walk around and go, we made it! We made it! Right? The joy that was set before us. And if Jesus can endure that cross, then, then as Patty, I'm glad you got out of bed this morning. I'm glad you preached my pre-sermon, right? Let us love one another. Let's lean into one another. I would love us to capture this discipline of figuring out how to encourage each other on a daily basis. And I say that as a pastor who's probably not a great encourager, right? And I, then I need that help. But you need the help. Let's, let's do it together and let's get to glory as a church. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, let us fix our eyes on you. Give us the energy and the reminder to daily encourage one another in the faith. Lord, I pray for those who are on the, the trend line out the door of faith. Bring them back through the power of your people and the power of encouragement during a dark time in our culture. So, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in our church, but I do hope that we go deeper with each other and deeper with you. We ask this in your name. Amen.